Well, tonight, uh, as Rob shared, he asked me to come and share, and I have previously preached on an idea called the four G's of the gospel. It's not new or unique to me, but over the past couple of weeks, it's my understanding that first, Pastor Rob, he talked about kingdom identity and how it affects your use of time. And then Derek, uh, he covered your kingdom identity and your use of money. And then Will went on and talked about your kingdom identity and how it affects your abilities and the use of your abilities for God's glory. I liked uh, one of the statements that Will made. I made a note here. He said this, A spirit of gratitude for the gospel leads to a life of active worship. That should be a driving factor in every believer's life. Now, some of you may not know what I mean when I say a believer, and I'm going to cover that during the course of this message. But we believe as followers of Jesus Christ that all of life is worship. And basically, whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all for the glory of God. That's what we're supposed to be about. Uh, Being a Christian is not a one hour a week or a two hour a week thing when you come out here and worship together and then you go off and live your life. What you need to realize is God is not looking for people to do behavior modification. I'm not here to be a cheerleader or a motivational coach, but help you understand how God transforms hearts when we grasp the reality of the gospel, and I'll explain that in a minute. And I've been given the challenge by Rob to show you how the gospel should permeate your life and how the gospel enables you and I to walk in holiness and live as kingdom citizens. In other words, not live like old men, not live as sin-cursed critters, but live for the glory of Christ. And the gospel is the key element of that. And so for those of you who are believers, let me ask you this question. Because you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected for you, how does that affect your day-to-day life? Think about it. Does it matter on Monday morning when you go to work? Does it matter when you're preparing to argue with your spouse or deal with your children or go to school? That's the key, is if we are to have a kingdom identity, if we believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, we are set free from the guilt of that. That should impact our lives. Now, I don't often do this, but I caught a video the other day that really has caught me and caused me to think a lot differently over the past couple of weeks in this reality. And I want to share it with you as an introduction to talking about the four G's of the gospel. Uh, There's a preacher by the name of Alistair Begg, and you can find this on YouTube, not right now, wait till later. (laughs) And he does it better than I'm going to share it with you, but I'm going to share a story that he shares, and it's called The Man on the Middle Cross. And he starts out in this video, and he tells the story way better than I can, simply because he's got that great Scottish brogue. I don't. I'm sort of some half-breed, southern, northern mix. I don't know what I am. But you can put up with my voice. 
But Alistair starts the video and he makes this statement, and it's a profound statement. It's this, without the preaching of the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. That's a dangerous thing to do. The gospel, the reality of what Jesus Christ has done, must be the root of your kingdom identity. The use of your time, the use of your finances, the use of your skills and abilities. The gospel needs to drive that if you are a blood-bought sinner. The gospel is what makes true biblical Christianity different from religion. Here's the sad part. In this community, there's a lot of churches that do religion. They do not preach the gospel. Let me help you understand. Maybe you're new to all this and this is different. In religion, the idea is you obey or do enough good things that you might be accepted by God. It's by your works. You've got to be a good person. And the reality is, in religion, you fear what might, God might do if you're disobedient. Boy, I hope I do enough and maybe he'll let me in. The gospel changes all that because the gospel motivates us to become obedient Christians. Why? Because Jesus Christ already did it all. In Christ, you are already accepted. Ephesians 1.6, he has made us accepted in the beloved. It's not your work, it's not your effort, it's you resting in Jesus' completed work. Secondly, all of the judgment against the sins that you have committed, and yeah, even the ones that you got for tomorrow and next week, yeah, they're coming. (laughs) Did you know that Jesus paid for them? On the cross, he drank to the dregs the cup of wrath for every one of our sins. Isn't that awesome? That's the reality, and that's what we see in the Scriptures. God made him who had no sin, speaking of Jesus Christ, to become sin for us. So that doesn't stop there. We might become the righteousness of God. So God looks at us as we have faith in what Christ did on the cross, and he goes, you're perfect. That's awesome. The great exchange. And the third thing I want you to realize is there's absolutely no guilt or condemnation left for your sin. It was 100% paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul writes, Romans 8, 1? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And that's the reality that we live in with the gospel. But we have this contrast between religion and gospel. And here's the problem. In your human nature, you revert to religion. We all do. And we must walk in faith in the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so here's the deal. In religion, you obey in order to get things from God. Oh, Lord, I'll do this, and then please bless me with this. Now, that may work for the health and wealth preachers, but it's not biblical. The gospel tells me what God has done on my behalf. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And the gospel motivates me to kingdom living. Why? Because I'm set free. There's no condemnation. So I now get to obey. 
I can walk in holiness because His Spirit enables me. Now, I'm an old guy, and a number of years ago, there was an evangelism program out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida called Evangelism Explosion. I love the program. I did it many, many times. I've knocked on I don't know how many thousands of doors. <laughs> but one of the diagnostics questions is this, and this is a good question for every one of you. If you were to die tonight, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? Think about that. What would you say? Now, I'm beg borrowing and stealing this from Alistair Begg. And he said it well. He says, if you answer that question in the first person, I, and fill in the blank, you started wrong. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I believe Jesus Christ died for me. Okay, maybe you're getting closer, but you started with I. No, it's what Christ did. The biblical answer comes back to answering that in the third person. Because Jesus Christ died for me. I am released from my sin and counted as righteous. Do you understand the, the shift that occurs there? That's the heart of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Because Jesus died for me. Now, some of you may think I'm being a little bit too critical. And Alistair brought this illustration that I'm going to share with you. And I'm not going to do it well because I don't have a Scottish brogue. But it's okay. Thief on the cross. Most of us are familiar. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Here's God's words. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so this thief was saved. And I love how Alistair Begg describes perhaps a scene that occurred within minutes or hours. And Alistair puts it this way. One day when I get to heaven, I want to look this guy up, the thief, and go, how'd that shake out for you after the cross? <laughs> One minute you're cussing Jesus out on the cross with your friend, You've never been to a Bible study in all of your life. You never went into a church. You didn't get baptized. You don't know about church membership, and yet you made it. How did you make it? And Alistair goes on and he says, Imagine the angel at heaven's gate. The thief appears at the gate of heaven, and the angel had to ask, What are you doing here? And the thief's like, um, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, like, because I don't know why I'm here. This is heaven. There are certain requirements. Did you, you know what, hold it. Let me go get my supervisor. So he calls the supervisor angel. <laughs> supervisor angel comes over and says, well, we have a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Uh... Never heard of it. Okay, well, let's just skip to the doctrine of Scripture. 
silence. So the supervisor finally says in frustration to the thief, on what basis are you here? Well, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That is the gospel. It's not what you do. It's what the man on the middle cross did. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was buried. And he was raised again on the third day for us. Don't ever lose sight of that reality. That's the heart of the gospel message. That's a pure gospel. And here's the thing you need to remember. You and I, if you and I do not preach the gospel to yourself all day and every day, then you are going to find yourself beginning to trust yourself and trust your own efforts. Because the funny thing happens, when, when God gets a hold of your heart and changes it, you get better and better. You look more and more like Christ, or you should be. Or maybe you need to go back and check if you ever believe Jesus died for you. And what happens in our sinful natures is we go, I'm not too bad, God's kind of lucky to have me. <laughs> Hogwash. No. It was what the man on the middle cross did that will get you into heaven. It is his work and his work alone. Not how much you give to the church. Not how nice you are to other people. Not how much you participate in the kids' ministry or whatever ministry you need this week, Rob. If you or I take our eyes off the cross and what Christ did, if you don't remind yourself of that every day, every hour, then you will begin to give lip service to the efficacy of Christ's work on your behalf. The reality is, as I will revert to attempting to live my life by works, as if my salvation depended upon me and my effort, not faith in what Christ has done on my behalf. Never, ever forget the great exchange. It's one of my top verses in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin to become sin for me. I'm personalizing it. So that we, I, might become the righteousness of God. So what do you bring to your salvation? Your sin. What's Christ bring? The righteousness you need. It's that simple. The great exchange. And it's only by faith in the cross of Christ which can deal with the difficulties of this world. It's why you may be here and you're going, you keep talking about this gospel. I see people around me, they're happy, they're joyful, they have peace. Some of them, I know their lives are falling apart. Rob nailed it well. We started Christmas Day with COVID. It's been coughing nonstop for me since then. Hasn't gone away, and then the pollen kicks in, and now I'm in double mode, you know? Tanked up on Sudafed and cough medicine to get through this night. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God for drugs, yes. <laughs> but as you go through this life, we, we remember, okay, you know what, I can go through these difficulties, I can go through these challenges. Our church, we've been year and almost a year and a half now trying to get into a building that should have taken two months. But God's in control. And we remind ourselves every day of the hope of the gospel. 
And if we don't remind ourselves of that, we're going to fall into the depths of despair. Or the pretentious arrogance and pride of our heart will say, I can do this. I got this, God. That's one of the most dangerous things we can do as believers. We're just like little kids. Y'all remember toddlers? I do it. And they go pick their clothes out and they're, I see you dressed yourself today. (laughs) When it comes to our salvation, look to the man on the middle cross, not your works. That's what we must. We must remember the gospel truth. I love one of my favorite hymns is Before the Throne of God Above. That may be too staid for you guys to sing, but we sing it. Listen to this verse. I think it's verse 4. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. When we say the gospel, when we say, are you a Christian? This is the heart of it right here. We don't believe that we're good people. We actually know that we are sinners and that we have no hope before a holy God. And the reality of becoming a Christian, to become a believer, to believe the gospel is to say, I believe that God sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, in the flesh, born of a virgin. He walked on this earth. He lived a sinless life. And then he offered his life on the cross. He was crucified, he was buried and raised again on the third day. And because of that, when I believe in what his work has accomplished, I am counted as righteous. I'm not a good person, but Jesus was good for me. And that's the hope that we have. We're only saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. And that's why I love when Alistair said that statement, if you answer the question in the first person, I stop. Time out. Answer it. Because Christ died for me. That's where you need to bring the gospel to every single day. You see, so often we take the gospel and then we move towards works. Remember Paul, Galatians 3? You started with faith, and then now you're trying to do it by works. He's sort of like, step forward. Let me slap you. You can go read it, Galatians chapter 3 tonight. That's what you and I do as sinful people. We fall back to trying to earn our way. How many of y'all ever get stressed in life? Maybe you've had to replace the family car or the dryer. Oh, how many things break and go wrong and another financial issue? You never seem to have enough money at the end of the month. Then your spouse comes home, and you're worried about all the bills, and wouldn't you like this, wives? Your husband comes home and brings you a set of flowers, and you burst into tears. How could you spend money on flowers at a time like this? These are the things that life is made of, aren't they? Or maybe you sometimes feel like your life is not your own. Maybe you're a mama. And you got crying kids in diapers, and they seem to control your time and your life. Or maybe you're a worker, and it just seems your boss just keeps demanding, demanding, demanding. Others seem to control you. You can't seem to do anything right, and you can't seem to get everything going. And all of this builds up. See, the gospel has an answer for that. Because we come back and we go, you know the big problem of my life? 
is that ultimate question, that EE question. Why should I let you in heaven? That's the big one. That's the one that's ultimate that deals with eternity. And see, too often we say, well, that gospel answers the end of my life, but it doesn't answer today and tomorrow. And we put it on a shelf. But here's the deal. Understanding what Christ has done changes and transforms our life so we can be kingdom citizens living with joy and peace through COVID, when the dryer breaks, when the job no longer is there, you name it. When you get the C diagnosis, the gospel will change that. And, and too often we believe that the way to change is simply to try harder. Oh, you know, I just need to suck it up and try harder. And yes, you as a believer do need to read the scriptures, seek to walk in holiness, but it's not your effort. Change will not begin in your life by trying harder or working harder. Change will begin in your life when you believe better, when you believe the gospel, when you preach the gospel to yourself every hour of the day. Gee, Lord, my boss is coming. How does the gospel help me? Oh, okay. And I want to talk to you in a moment about the four G's, how you can apply them in a situation like that to remember the gospel. You see, we're saved when we rest in the truth of the gospel, what the man on the middle cross did. He is my righteousness. He is my acceptance. He is my everything before God. And because of that man on the middle cross, he even gives me the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? And he equips me and enables me to do what I don't normally do. I now get to walk in obedience. I get to walk in joy and peace. And his spirit enables me to do that. That's amazing. And here's the deal. I'm going to be 60 this year. Hard to believe. I still feel 25 in mind and 70 in body. But another deal. Yeah, the reason Christians remain stuck in patterns of sin, and this is the one thing I'm beginning to learn, is that we focus too often on our behavior. Oh, I must be good. I have to do this so Jesus will be pleased with me. Wrong answer. We forget the underlying beliefs and the importance of the gospel. We need to remember that we need to believe better. I have been set free from all guilt and condemnation because of what Jesus Christ has done. You see, we try to change our behavior like we're, I'm a life coach and I'm here to give you some behavior modification. If you believe that's what I'm here to do, you're wrong. I'm here to point you to Jesus Christ and what he has done. And as you believe that and Allow that to have implication in every moment and every decision. It will change your behavior. You will become like Christ. You will live like Christ. As you've heard, it will affect your use of time. It will affect your use of money. It will affect your use of your abilities and skills. Because whatsoever I do, whether I eat or drink, I do it all for the glory of God. I love John Piper. He does a great thing, and he talks about how sin is unbelief. 
The truth is this. Behind every sin, there is a lie about God. That's, I believe, a biblical principle. You can find that at the beginning of your Bible if you look in the book of Genesis. You remember Adam and Eve, those guys? Yeah, God created the male and female. Yes, he did create them that way. And they, when they were first created, they trusted that God was good, he was gracious, he was glorious, and he was great. And they willingly obeyed his commands. They walked with him, they had fellowship with him. And they were cool with the idea of not eating the tree. It really wasn't a big deal for them. They're like, we got God, we're good. God's great, he's glorious. We can do this. And then, if you keep reading Genesis 3, what happened? Yes, the serpent got them to disobey God. Why? He told them a lie. And they swallowed the lie, hook, line, and sinker, rather than God's truth. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent sold Eve a lie. And remember, Adam was right there. So guys, don't be sitting there nudging your wife. That scumbucket was standing right next to her, and he said nothing. I want to get a hold of that guy when I get to heaven. <sighs> but here's the thing. As soon as they believed Satan's lie, what happened? Their desires shifted. You go, you sure about that? Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She desired what she had no desire for previously because previously she had believed that God was indeed good and great and glorious and gracious. And now she took the lie, hook, line, and sinker. And so the key for us to walk in kingdom lies, transform lies that people look at and go, there's something different about you, what is it? Is to turn from the lies of the world, turn from the lies of Satan, and remember and rejoice in the truth that God has revealed in the gospel. Faith is turning to God's truth and godly behavior that results from believing that truth. Most of us know, yeah, we're saved by our initial repentance and faith in the gospel. But you do know the scripture also teaches that you continue to be saved, or can I even put it this way, you are changed day by day, by continual faith and repentance in the gospel. If you don't believe me, go read the book of Galatians. That's Paul's whole argument. It's by faith through faith. He says that in Romans. And so I ask that question. Because you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected, how does that affect your day-to-day -day life? I would submit this. Change begins when you realize the truth of God's word applies to all of life, not just when you're here at church. Change begins when we realize that the gospel affects everything I do. Paul puts it this way, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul tells us how do we get faith, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We need faith to believe the gospel. Faith is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. And it comes by hearing the word of God, God's holy word. And so the answer to having the gospel permeate your life is that you need to learn to, as Alistair has said it, as Martin Lloyd-Jones has said it, as Martin Luther has said it, everybody said it, 
who knows the gospel, you must preach the gospel to your own heart every moment of every day. David, a man after God's own heart, Acts 13, 22. He wrote Psalm 103, 22. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's preaching the gospel. Remember, he looked forward to the gospel. We look back to it. He knew the Messiah was coming. Just go read his Psalms. He knew it well. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 10, Though we live in the world, we don't wage world like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And how do we do that? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Fancy word for lies. <laughs> okay? And, and here's the important part, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's how we change. Is we, we apply the God's word. We, we realize that because of the gospel, I can trust the truth of God's word. What's the opposite of a lie? Truth. God's word teaches that. Ephesians 4.25, therefore put away lying, let each one of you instead speak the truth with his neighbor. And so we need to do that. And there's four life-changing truths that I want to give you that will help you apply these. I call them the four G's and I beg, borrow, and stole them from Tim Chester. Highly recommend the book, You Can Change. I read that book probably twice to three times a year. It's that good. Of a book because it points me back to God's word and reminds me of the hope of the gospel. And he has drawn these from Psalm 62, 11, and 12. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Twice I have heard this, that, oh, excuse me, that power belongs to God and that to you, O oh Lord, belongs steadfast love. So the four G's are God is great and glorious, power belongs to God. He is great and he's glorious, that's his power. And to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. God is good and he is gracious. You can also turn to Psalm 145 and you'll find the four G's identified there that God is good and great and gracious and glorious. So let me put these in practical terms that you can use them and apply them. Because we've talked about the gospel and if you don't understand the gospel, these are useless. But if you realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins... You are set free from the penalty of your sin because of what Christ has done. Then this will help you live a transformed life as you remember these. The first is this. God is great, so I no longer have to be in control. Sounds pretty no-brainer, right? How many of y'all are better than God? I don't see any hands. No, God is great. You do not need to be in control. Because if I don't believe that God is great, I am going to be filled with anxiety in this fallen world, I would have freaked out in the first month of this, this year. Because life seems out of control often. When I am anxious or worried, it will be difficult to love others well if I do not believe that God is great. Why? Because my own struggles would consume me. You know what it's like. Any of y'all ever spent sleepless nights because you're worried about this or that? You forgot that God is great? And he's got this. I can be at peace when I realize that God is great because in all situations, I know God has it. He has me in his hand and he has ordained this. 
our driveway. We're trying to get a driveway in. Did y'all pay attention to the weather over the past two weeks? It's not been conducive to putting a driveway in a yard that turns to muck. But you know what? In my human terms, I'm going, what you doing here, God? And then our dirt guy comes in and he goes, oh, we're going to change the way we do this because I didn't realize you had this problem with drainage. So our God was so great that he brought these rains to create a problem that our dirt guy figured it out and solved it. Praise God. And what do we do when we fail to remember that God is great? We whine and we complain and we grumble. See, believing God is great is essential for transformation and walking like Christ wants us to walk. We must see his greatness. And the way you do that, look first to the gospel. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Oh, so he can handle this. I need to remember that he triumphed over my greatest enemies, sin, death, and Satan. He is great, and that's what he did for me. So never forget that. Secondly, God is glorious. You do not have to fear other people when you do not believe that God is glorious and the creator of the universe whose opinions are loftier and greater than any human being you'll ever encounter, you will end up listening to other people. you got to remember, whose opinion matters? Yeah, the man on the middle cross, his opinion matters the most. Not my spouses or people around me. It's all about him. You see, when I don't believe that God is glorious, I will give in to peer pressure. Young people, you will conform your body image, everything, to other people's ideas instead of remembering that God is glorious and he redeemed me. And so maybe you ought to pay attention to the truths that are in his holy word. The implications of that are profound. But when I believe that God is glorious, I will listen to him, I will walk in his ways. And I'll allow him to transform my life day by day. It's amazing. Thirdly, God is good. So I don't have to keep looking elsewhere for satisfaction. You see, if I don't believe the truth that God is good, then I'm going to insatiably search for what is good in the things of this corrupt and disastrous world. It won't work. People look for food. You ever have that problem? Life hits you hard and where's that half gallon of ice cream? Where's the cake? Where's the pretzels, the chips? I'm a stress eater. No, you don't believe God is good so you look to food for satisfaction. Yeah, it's easy to do. We can look to drink. Same thing. We can look to sex. Oh, if only. I've known single people who are like, oh, if I can just get married, all this. And it doesn't change when they get married. You see, we have to believe that our God is good and I can find satisfaction in Him because He has given me the greatest thing I ever need and that is freedom from my guilt, payment for my sin, and eternity with Him. 
But when I do believe that God is good, I find my satisfaction in Him and I enjoy His material gifts. Yeah, I enjoy some of those things. It's nice. You know, Will and I, we're playing with bees now. It's kind of cool to watch God's critters. I raise chickens and enjoy those kind of things. Maybe you race cars. I don't know. It's okay to do these things and enjoy them because God is indeed good and I don't have to look elsewhere and He's allowed me these wonderful things as long as they don't replace God as first. That's how we do that. So remember, God is good will transform your life day by day when you remember that and are tempted by things of the world. And fourthly, God is gracious. You do not, have, do not have to prove yourselves anymore. See, if you don't believe the truth that God is gracious, then think about your salvation. What do you have to do? Oh, you better read your quiet time. Or you're going to give you a flat tire on that car. No, God is not a vengeful, you know, God up there going, I'm going to get you. You step out of line. No. You got it all at the cross. When Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised for you, you were set free from all guilt and condemnation. But we fall back to the lies of the world, religion. And we go, oh, but if I don't do this, ah, wrong answer. You see, when we don't believe that God is gracious and we have to keep proving ourselves to other people at work, you, you, you work yourself to the bone beyond what is eye service to the Lord because you have to prove it. Or maybe it's to your spouse or parents to your kids. No, you're a broken, cracked vessel. It's okay to say, yeah, mommy and daddy aren't perfect. Please forgive me. Yeah, you can say that to your kids because you believe that God is gracious and you can teach your children that you are a sinner saved by grace. That's one key to raising non-angry children, by the way. I've watched more parents ruin their children. I was almost one of them as an angry parent who demands and demands and demands. Realize that God is gracious and you also can be gracious because of it. You see, when you're tempted, you can turn back to God and say, God, Right now, I really like this, and I know this is against your word. Because you know your God is gracious. And what's he promised to do when you do that? His spirit will give you the strength to walk out of it. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. That's a promise. 1 Corinthians 10.13 that's how gracious your God is. That's how the gospel matters in your life. You see, believing that God is gracious is essential for your transformation. And you can see His grace most clearly when you look every day, every hour back to the gospel. I'm set free because of the man on the middle cross. That's what we must remember. So, remember to use these four G's. Don't forget to repeat to yourself. I printed them up on cards. God is great. So I don't have to be in control. And it's so helpful. When it's like, 
oh no, things aren't working and I'm not going to meet the timetable I think we need for the church and this and all and I just go, yeah, and I don't have to be in control, do I? Because God's great and I can just let it go. God is glorious. I don't have to fear other people. I can only imagine what Will and Rob and Derek, you guys are tough on them. They got to be everything to everybody. And these guys are going, oh, if I don't do this, my people are going to leave. You know what? Now, God's glorious. I don't have to fear them. I'm going to glorify God. And I hope your pastors, and I know they do because I talk with them enough. And they're my friends. And, and it's cool to see. You see, that changes our lives when we remember God's glorious. I don't have to fear others. And God is good. I don't have to keep looking elsewhere for satisfaction. God is good enough to satisfy the righteousness of God by being my righteousness. That's what Jesus, the man on the middle cross, did. God is good enough to satisfy the wrath of God by being our substitute. He's good enough to satisfy the justice of God by paying my penalty for sin. God is good enough to satisfy the holiness of God by removing all of my sin and guilt. And the last thing, God is good enough that He promises that He is my continual advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ is doing that now for believers. He is being an advocate and praying and being there before the throne of grace for you if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Yeah, God does have this. And when you can't pray, how does Paul put it in Romans? Groaning's too great for words. Don't worry, Jesus got it. He's praying for you. It's good. And lastly, never ever forget your God is gracious. Jesus did it all. You don't have to prove anything. That's the four G's of the gospel. Know them, learn them, repeat them, and you will become kingdom citizens. People will look at the folks of Hope Church and go, what's different? And you can talk about the man on the middle cross. No, it's not us. We're a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners saved by grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of the man on the middle cross. May you allow it to permeate our lives that we may walk in obedience and hope in what you have done on our behalf. Thank you, Father. We pray all these things in your son's glorious and precious name. Amen.